Everyone's going to hate this episode because it's 45 minutes long. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Syntax Podcast. I'm Ethan. I'm Fernando. And today we're going to talk about another form of government, uh, making this the third in our governments series. Today, the topic is the polystate. So, Fernando, what is the polystate? Well, it's a little different from the other alternative governments that we've examined in the sense that it's not necessarily a set of rules and mechanisms, but a bigger picture into which many different frameworks might fit into. So before we dive into that, the background of this comes from a short book by, um, what's the guy's first name? Zach. Zach Wienersmith. Zach Wienersmith. And he it's Polystate, a thought experiment. And the book is exactly what it sounds like. We should caveat that Ethan and I have not read the book, but have read different book reviews and articles discussing the topic. But he dives into what would it look like if citizens belong not necessarily to a state defined by the area which they live in, but the state that they want to belong to. People could choose which government they fall under. And then he calls these individual governments anthrostates. And the anthrostates are combined into a larger entity called the polystate. So the basic idea of it is citizens have the freedom to move between anthrostates. Me and my neighbor, I might live choose to live under Trump's government, and my neighbor might choose to live under Angela Merkel's government, for example. And if one of us is dissatisfied at one point, we may switch to the other one or to a third government basically choosing what rules we play by. There are some obvious challenges that might come up, and Wiener Smith is quick to point out that this is a thought experiment in terms of what would it look like if we had this freedom of choice. So Ethan and I are going to get into that a little bit, talk a little more about his vision for the polystate, how it might work, and whether or not this is a good and slash or practical thing. Yeah. So I think we should probably start by going over the terms that we're going to use a lot. So you explained that the anthrostate is the personal state that you belong to. So there's many anthrostates. None of them have any kind of geographic presence. They are just a collection of people throughout the world that elect to live in them under their government. On the other hand, what we live under now, Wienersmith calls a geostate. So that is geographically adjacent people living in a country that is the essence of that area. America is both a group of people and a physical location. And under an anthrostate, that concept doesn't even make any sense. Physical locations are just where you live. They have nothing to do with who governs you. Uh, so on a day-to-day basis, like what does this look like for a person? I think Wienersmith thinks that you should stay under the same government for about a year. After every year, you can, you can re-choose what government you're going to I think of it as like report to. It's almost like having a different boss at work. And during that year, you need that stability because you're both consuming services from your government and you're paying taxes to your government or whatever other requirements the government sets of you. So you have these year-long blocks of, of basically becoming part of a new state. And potentially you could change this a lot and try out many things or you could stick with one all your life. And I think when you think about the different kinds of people there are and what they value in the political systems we have, there are certainly people that value safety and security and consistency over 
upside. And I think you would see this emerge here where people were born into one anthro state and knowing what it's like has great value to them and knowing that the risk is low has great value to them. So they probably would stick there all their lives. I think of myself and I would probably be fairly adventurous in an anthro state uh, up to the point of physical danger. And so I would imagine switching every year and saying, I would like to try maybe 10 of these anthro states while I'm in my prime. And then I will choose whichever one seems best to stick in for 10, 20 years, maybe raise a family or something. Right. So another aspect, in addition to these individual anthro states, is the polis state, which is the topic of this podcast. And that's a larger organization of multiple anthro states. So it's, it's possible that this, there could be one polystate that covers all the anthrostates in the world, or there might be many polystates where each one could correspond to a geographic region, like all the Americas could fall under one polystate, or it might be um, based on language, English-speaking anthrostates, or any other commonality, or as I said, it could just be universal. And the function of the polystate in his vision is to serve as some sort of overall arbiter if there's disagreements between anthrostates or perhaps ambiguities, um, disputes, the polystate would serve to mediate those disputes since you can see a lot of potential for friction where each if each anthrostate has its own set of its its own constitution and its own set of rules. So it would be somewhat analogous to the UN. I think that Wiener Smith sees the polystate more as what the UN was originally conceived to be, where it has a little bit more power over its member states, as opposed to this kind of body that throws out suggestions and mediates discussions, but doesn't necessarily enact results. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair characterization. So I, I think of like, uh, well, to start, I think we should say that's kind of the point of the government, right? Like we don't have any histories of anybody trying to enact something like this. And we're kind of light on details of how this would look in practice because it's so different than what we have, right? So we're probably going to have to talk a lot today about how we imagine this would look if you ever implemented it. So along those lines, um, I think probably you would see a lot of anthrostates that became geostates. This is a theory of mine because people tend to cluster uh, with similar people. It just has naturally happened over the history of America pretty clearly. And you look at voting patterns, people vote the same way that people around them do in general. You might see, in my mind, cities become uh, anthrostates or maybe maybe major metropolitan areas are each an individual anthrostate and together cluster into a polystate while rural areas having big cultural differences are their own anthro and polystates. I'm not so sure, but I think you would definitely see separation still between countries. Uh, at least major countries with major cultural differences, I think would not live under the same anthro or polystate. Right. And this is, uh, would be referring to the majority of people. Like let's say if the, Washington, D.C. metro area was its own polystate, or its own anthrostate, rather, roughly. That doesn't mean that 100% of people who live in that area have chosen to belong to that anthrostate. It yeah, might just mean that point. the tendency has driven people 
um, either driven those residents to the same anthrostate or driven other people to join that anthrostate and also move to that region. But it might just be that like 80% of those geographical residents belong to that associated anthrostate. And then there's also a couple hundred thousand people around the country yeah. who are geographically separated, but also choose to belong to that state. So it would be a rough correspondence rather than a strict definition based on geography. Yeah, it's funny because you even hear in my language, like I, I mischaracterize that by explaining it in terms of geography and saying like metropolitan areas themselves would be anthrostates. I mean, the, the area wouldn't be an anthrostate. It would just be people in the area would generally move toward one anthrostate. Uh, right. But it's, it's funny. Just like there tend to be red and blue states. It's not that the states are inherently different, but some just have a preponderance of people who tend to lean Democratic or Republican. That's true. But I, I think it's more important to make the distinction here because the area really has nothing to do with what's happening. Where like states right. are physically defined as an area. It's just interesting because right. our language around voting blocks and political entities is is so anchored to geography that it's hard to break yourself of that habit of speaking that way. I think I have a hard time imagining this partly because it really does break a lot of the both uh, political and semantic conventions that we have around what governments are. And I think there's a good chance that if somehow this happened, a lot of the anthrostates would... I don't think you'd have anthrostates that look like our current governments. I think there'd be drastic differences just based on the practical needs of governing a geographically dispersed people. And I don't know exactly what that involves, but in terms of international relations, like how does the tariff system work? It would be very different if me and my next door neighbor technically are citizens of different countries, or how would it apply to corporations that have all these people who work for it that may or may not be citizens of the same countries. So as Ethan said, it's a totally different paradigm and I'm not sure it would look like there's this anthrostate, we'll call it anthrostate A, and it's kind of like a US constitution type thing. Anthrostate two is a United Arab Emirates type government. I think it would be very unique and very different from our traditional structures. Yeah. And we, we will get to pros and cons. I don't want to launch us into that too early. But um, one thing I think it's almost impossible not to talk about at this stage is the major difficulties in accountability, basically. So one advantage of geography is that you have a police force that can act, like some kind of internal policing, that can act over a defined area. But as the people who are in your anthrostate are spread more widely you can't have a police force in the same way and so maybe the the individual states need to make deals with each other but that means that you need to agree to that because you're part of the state and it just makes it a lot trickier to keep track of what people are doing and hold everybody to what they voted for basically and say like you said that you were willing to be part of a government where you uh you pay a certain tax or you put in a certain number of community service hours. Like, well, how do we hold you to that? Who do you do the community service hours for? At the same time, because you chose the state, uh, that's an advantage. So maybe you get people buying in a little bit more than they do now. Because many people feel very disengaged and helpless with the political situation that they live under. Maybe I've already taken a set of pros and cons. 
Right. Well, I think something we can't avoid discussing is like, and this isn't really the point of Wiener Smith's book, it's a thought experiment, but how, how would this be implemented? Like, how would Ethan Swan on the first of the year choose to change his anthro state? And even though it is entirely hypothetical, I think it's important because that'll expose some of the opportunities and challenges. And for starters, I think it's almost a given that electronic information technology needs to be deeply integrated into this, right? Because how else can we uh, communicate and hold people accountable over a geographically dispersed area? So it the polystate could almost certainly not be put into effect into in an area that hasn't reached a certain level of technological development and as well as reliability. Because, I mean, it doesn't help if you have the potential to do fancy technological things. It has to be constantly working in a way that allows the state to enforce and keep track of things. So maybe that's question number one. So we'll throw it to our tech nerd and see if he has any ideas of how this might work. Yeah, well, I mean, you could implement right now a phone app where everybody votes for something, right? Like the, the problem isn't, isn't really technological. Like I think there, this is a common theme of problems that people discuss as like technology problems. Many technology problems are actually social problems that are value judgments, and it just happens that they have a mask of technology on top of them. And I, I think that way about like social networks right now. So we're all very concerned about Facebook. I mean this this problem is not going to be solved by technology, no matter what. What's, no matter what Zuckerberg tells you, like this isn't actually a technology problem. These are problems with what do we think companies should do and how should they act. And, and similarly here, this is a little bit less ethical, but it's more like how do we plan to hold people accountable beyond just what they say? Like we can track what people vote to be part of via their phone. We can't track what they do via their phone unless we all agree. And that's like for us to participate in this polystate poly society, we would all have to agree to be tracked by our phones all the time and know and have everybody know what we're doing. And I think you would be unlikely to get consensus on that. So that's where the challenges begin. Right. So when Ethan talks about the mobile phone app, like <clears throat> the phone would need to be linked or whatever you use to track that item or piece of technology would need to be linked to your identity in a way like probably even more deeply than the social security number is or about as deeply as the social security number is linked to your identity because like i don't know if it would involve some sort of tracking device implanted in your body which is not necessarily beyond our technology but there needs to be a almost foolproof way that however you as an individual are voting that's actually the governments the anthro states the poly state needs to know that it's you, it's the individual, you're the individual you say you are. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is... In a way is, that's very fundamental even beyond, like, the financial transactions and stuff we do with our phones now. Yeah, but I, I don't know if it is more fundamental than that, right? Like, it feels more personal because you can actually alter what government you're part of and, and what your responsibilities are. But in theory, we we espouse that same idea in regular voting. where like, every vote is sacred. And, like, obviously this is... Uh, this is a whole tangent of mine, but uh, many people are quite aware that their vote doesn't matter. No one is changing the election by their vote. But we always talk about how, like, every vote matters and, like, it's very important that you go and vote even though it will never count. Um, and if that were true, then we shouldn't feel like this is a more personal vote than the current votes that we cast. 
But it, it is, and I think people actually do realize that this matters more, even if they don't like to say that. Uh, so do we not care enough right now to have all these same concerns? Well, apparently not. And financial transactions, like, well, if you thought your financial transactions were as important as the entire life you live, you probably would be willing to do this, but most people aren't. And so it just gets hard fast because we would need to start forcing people to draw the lines between why this matters more. Because people would have to consent to things that they don't now. Well, I think part of it is because the all the sub-areas that you just discussed fall under or are directly affected by how you vote or how you choose your anthro state. So, I mean, your financial life is obviously a very important part of your life and your career and your family. But it is it, that your financial life would be subordinated to which anthro state you join because it affects your taxation policies, some fiscal policies and rules about trade and things like that. And likewise, your the possibility of you going off to fight a war is directly affected by which anthro state you choose. The if there's an anthro state that limits the number of children you can have, that is your vote, your choice of anthro state affects that. So, I think it is all these other things that we talk about is I don't everyone has to choose how important it is to their life. All of those things are added up into this one choice that you make every year. So that is to me the kind of deeper level of connection. Yeah. So did you uh did you read anything about how the anthrostates would be formed? Because I actually didn't. So I don't know if we should I, just extrapolate wildly or if you have ideas. I also didn't and I think extrapolating wildly is definitely the course of action it's right in our domain of expertise yes mm-hmm. um yeah because I, I was thinking about this a little bit so and this again will stray a little into pros and cons but you have to think that the mechanism for creating an anthro state can't be too difficult because what you're looking for here is for people to have a lot of freedom and you don't want the existing anthro states and poly states to be able to band together and prevent new ones from being created because that's almost like like the nature of this is that it, in general, it creates a lot of competition in society for where people want to be. And thus, in theory, it creates good individual societies. So you can't make it someone's value judgment of whether we should have a new anthrostate. But if you remove all these restrictions, then why would people not create very small anthrostates that just have laws for them? Like, I am moving to a state where I pay no taxes and... Uh, Everybody else in the state pays me. Now, nobody else moves into that state, but there are less extreme examples where you could construct things that benefit your community greatly. A good example of this is like, why would the super rich not all move into one state with no taxes? And there, I would think that there must be a mechanism around this, but it seems quite hard to solve, actually, because if you give people full freedom in what their society is like, then they have no incentives to worry about people that are not just like them. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, I don't have an off-the-shelf solution, but I imagine part of it would part of it would be you need criteria for who can form a state and under what conditions. And on the one hand, you'd want to have some level of diversity, whether that's financial diversity, so it's not all the super rich, or um, maybe geographic or racial or educational diversity. But by the same token that, as you said, the kind defeats the whole purpose of the anthro state. If we're forcing people to like, oh, you can only form anthro states like this. So 
I don't know if you they would each need to be representative in some way, like representative diversity of opinions for it to actually functionally work and not be full of self-interest. But again, I'm not sure how you could enforce that without taking away the freedom of choice and the competition. So one thing that I was thinking is if you could have a a finite number or at least a defined number of anthrostates that could exist at any given time. So maybe that number is 200. I think there's about 200 countries. Or you could have like uh, the number of anthrostates we have at any given time is the world population divided by uh, 100 million or something, you know, so it's a constant factor. Because then I guess uh, you could have a mechanism where anytime new people wanted to form an anthrostate, or rather people wanted to form a new anthrostate, they would have to collect enough signatures on some kind of petition to overtake the smallest existing anthrostate and that would bump out the old smallest and this new one would be created and so this way you would have a competition of like we have a finite number but whichever ones are most popular are the ones that survive you would have some issues with that though because uh i think of the the, like the two-party system is a good example where you form voting blocks that are hard to break up even though they're not actually similar and i I feel like this would lead to something similar but i'd have to sit down and think about it more to figure out the exact mechanics um, but I, that to me seems like the simplest solution to this problem. And if you have enough anthrostates, that voting block problem is probably less problematic. Right. The other issue is with that is part of the benefit, I guess, of the poly state is that on the surface, it seems like everyone can win. Like, well, if I don't like the rules of this, I'll join this anthrostate. But if your rule is that to form a new anthrostate, you need to kick one, someone else out that kind of defeats the everyone can be doing what they want appeal of the poly state. And maybe that's, I mean, definitely that's just an unrealistic, unrealistic end goal where everyone's just perfectly happy in their anthro state with their anthro state's rules. But it would kind of turn into a zero sum game where one group of people's desire to form a new state will invariably conflict with someone else's self-interest and then their counter move might be to band together with the next most similar anthrostate which kind of leads to the voting block party you talk about yeah and um well i just think in general about governments competing for people like there there's pros and cons to this so a lot of people are really in favor of a lot of people i know are very in favor of um governments competing to keep people so they think like Human mobility across state lines is a really good thing because it means that states who have stupid laws get penalized and lose taxpayers. So a good example is like states that can't sell alcohol on Sundays or states that have really high uh, income taxes, things like this. So you you drive around these people, and even though it's a zero-sum game nationally, it encourages states to have more forgiving laws. But you flip this on its head when the government goal is actually good. When you have like a... Uh, when you have a problem where an individual can't really have any effect, so a little bit like your recycling article recently, where you have something where an individual can't make any difference on their own, and so the individual's incentives are to defect every time, but as a society, you want everybody to follow some rule. And so recycling is a good example, global warming is a good example. You need everybody to be on the same page, and you need to form an agreement about it, but individually, every single person wants to defect. And so if you have a a state like Kentucky that has a, uh, they don't actually, but I'm just saying, if Kentucky had a law 
about everybody having to recycle and it was your duty or else you'd go to jail, then everybody would move to Ohio. But that's actually bad. Like you want people to stay in the states with the laws that are helping people. Same thing happened with uh, the Amazon HQ2 bidding where all these cities were driven to bid against each other. And in the grand scheme of things, taxpayers lose. Like what you want is for Amazon to choose to locate its location somewhere with no concessions. But when states are willing to pay up to the point of the benefit they will receive, then it's there's zero benefit, zero net benefit for the citizens of that region. And so these states bidding against each other, while sometimes it's good, is also sometimes bad. I think the anthro state is like the epitome of this. You would get nothing but state-by-state state bidding because you lower barrier to entry to basically zero. Instead of people having to move their belongings, they literally just vote. Right. So I think we're uh, moving firmly into the pros and cons discussion. So before we jump in 100%, anything else on the topic of implementation and like mechanisms of government you want to hit? I don't think so. And then I will. I mean, okay. I, I still have a lot of questions, but uh, I think... Yeah, I think, I think it's important to remember that... Um, we haven't read the book. This is a thought experiment in the general <laughs> framework of the government. Kind of like the futarchy. Kind of like the idea of futarchy, where like, it doesn't really matter if you use the blockchain or some other method to yeah. implement the futarchy. Or there's probably potential for blockchain to be involved in this... Oh. Sad that Matt's not on this podcast. Of course, but um, ultimately, that's not that's not the linchpin of what makes or breaks this government. Although it may have a big effect on whether or not it's at all possible. But to return to your point about the issues of kind of the goals of the government versus the goals of individuals and how the contrast may cause problems. Yeah, one of the disadvantages I thought of is how do you how do you do long-term planning um or budgeting or goal setting for anything of a time horizon more nine to 18 months if people cycle through every 12 months like you might assume some level of stability which isn't even necessarily a good assumption but even if you did it's hard to plan more than 18 months and in all manner of issues whether it's foreign policy environmental policy financial policy, we already feel the the negative effects of a four-year election cycle, where it's hard to get continuity beyond the four-year term of a president. And if the time horizon for that was even shorter, it would be very hard to prosecute any, prosecute the wrong word, but pursue any long-term projects. And something I have kind of written about in a couple of articles is that long-term big-picture projects are what truly affect our world. And in the long run, it's almost obvious to say. But to make meaningful changes, it requires that foresight and that big picture change. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think this probably wouldn't be that much worse than at present. Like, the incentive right now to pour for history. government... Oh, really? I think mm-hmm. right now the, the incentive for a government to pour money into long-term research is quite low, and they generally don't. There's There's some research grants, but... I don't think any politicians who give research grants think that it's a, it's particularly beneficial for their career, and I think that would continue. Like you're you're either going to have people who are interested in the well being of society long term or aren't, um, and I think you have very similar incentives lined up here. The budgeting and forecasting thing is a little bit different. I think that would be more problematic. But yeah, that's kind of more like think about infrastructure projects, like um, how the U.S. highway system was revamped in the '50s, like 
how could you do that if you didn't know how many taxpayers you'd have a year from now but, or who would even use the highways? I think a lot of those projects, a lot of high fixed cost projects are physical and there's much less to be worried about physically here. I, I think what would actually happen is you'd end up with some states that were sort of analogous to companies where the state started to compete on producing certain goods and exporting them. And there's a lot more certainty when you start to get into economics. Like companies in general have a good idea if they're, if, of whether they're going to exist next year. And when they're wrong, they fail. But that is like the nature of companies. And I think you'd end up with states that started to look like that. And if you wanted to build infrastructure, I mean, this obviously is a challenge, but you would need the people who are going to live in that area to pay separate from their government. It would become like charges to individuals. If you're going to live here, you must pay a certain amount of money to sponsor the infrastructure that we together are going to build in some way. We will bring in a firm or something that will do it. Because it's just unfeasible to have these high fixed cost projects executed by government. It doesn't really even make any sense. Or you might bring in the people of the anti-state that specialize in road building. But I think yeah, a firm just, might be an anthro state. That just points out kind of the problems of stabilizing the poly state because mm, people might feel like, well, I'm already paying what feels like a tax to take care of my roads and things like that. So why should I participate in an anthro state that is anything but completely hands off, where I don't pay anything, I don't get anything in return because I already like. It's not entirely rational, but they already feel that like certain services will come to them regardless of what anti-state they live in. And then like you could easily make the argument that security, the police issue we talked about, should fall under this um, shared, physically-based uh, pool of money. But if different anti-states have different laws, that presents an obvious problem. And even with roads, if you have an anti-state that is like, very anti-car because of environmental concerns. Do they need to put money into the road project? Or, I don't know, there's a lot of potential for... Yeah, this government isn't going to work. Yes. <laughs> I think I think we could just say that. So, so many laws depend on people not being able to defect. And in fact, it gives people uh, more power. So there's, there's a common case in game theory where... You actually gain something by restricting your choices, which is which sounds really weird, right? But if you're in a case where you're uh, you're bargaining with a pseudo madman, and the madman says that unless you give him a hundred dollars, he's gonna blow, he's gonna detonate this bomb and blow both of you up. Uh, if you assume he's rational and not a madman, then you're just going to not give him any money because he's not going to blow up the bomb because it'll kill both of you. He has much to lose. But on the other hand, if he creates some kind of device that will inevitably detonate unless he receives $100, then he gains a bargaining advantage. By restricting his options, he actually gains a bargaining advantage. And actually a lot of the way governments work under the hood, at least that I view, is like this. Because individually, individual players want to defect from policies because they want to be the one person who gets some advantage. But in aggregate, everyone gains if everybody can stay on the same page. A little bit prisoner's dilemma-y. So I think right now about this privacy thing with Google, um, I mean, the, the privacy legislation obviously goes past Google, but a lot of it has been targeted at Google. Uh, GDPR, the EU policy. And individually, people have shown that they will sign up for basically any service no matter how much of their data it uses. 
because they just want to have the benefits of these websites that have great user services. But in aggregate, we suffer from that. And if you could get everyone to agree not to use sites that practice these policies, that's good because the companies themselves will change. But you can't get that if individuals will defect. If Google said, we're not under any government regulation, we're only going to service people that agree to what we're doing, which is basically what's been going on for the last 10 years, everybody keeps using it, even though individually people think it's bad, because the alternative is to have no Google. But if Google knows that a government has restricted people's options and that the people cannot defect, and Google is just illegal in this country or they're going to keep getting fined in this country if they do this, then Google has to actually change. And that's where you're seeing right now all these companies updating their privacy policies. So, I mean, there's cons to this too, but you can't have a government where individuals can opt out of laws. It just won't work. Hot takeover. Right. So, yeah, to simplify what that example supposed to illustrate is that the freedom to choose and opt out, as you said, is not beneficial for individuals, right? Like, it may be... It is not beneficial in aggregate. Right. Yeah. It's like, uh, um, what, uh, Kantian... Uh, why am I blanking on this? Kantian ethics, right? Mm. Where everybody needs to follow the same rules like what is ethical is what everybody needs to or what is ethical is what if everybody did it would be good the problem is that that isn't actually the way ethics works and people individually will defect so you need to force this like kantian ethics mentality right so i think in my show notes like list a couple things under obstacles and disadvantages but they kind of all are really just individual examples of these same issues like um how to enforce trade policies, how to enforce taxation. Um, yeah, but it's interesting because enforcement is its own struggle. There's, I mean, we could come up with all these crazy ideas, but ultimately none of them really are as elegant as just having a group of co-located people that pay for services right. that affect all of them. It's just, just hard to service people that are geographically dispersed. And then so an interesting, um, something that was sparked in my mind where one of the articles mentioned contested ownership of sacred locations. I think the more interesting dilemma is how does ownership of profitable areas work? Like countries with oil reserves is the obvious example. Like who, how do you control who benefits from that? Um, The economy would just be so reworked, so different under a poly state. I'm not sure we have the semantics to properly answer that question. Yeah. And you would hope that things like that, I mean, countries would resist this, but you you would hope that natural resources were equally distributed because nobody earned the oil that sits under their feet or like the diamonds in their mines. If you're but, just listening uh, to, like, can you hear yourself? That will obviously not happen, but it just sounds impactful. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, but I think of the same thing where, you know, let's say we get to this magical state where everybody agrees we communally share our resources because they're just they're just parts of the earth but the incentives are so stacked against you now because all it takes is one bad actor one geo state instead of an anthro state a, a classic iteration of a physical entity that could just sweep through and conquer everyone because what like is your group police service going to fight them right. you probably don't keep a standing army uh, and if you keep a standing army, like, how do you do that? Like, do all the anthro states pitch in for one standing army? And then, like, 
I don't know, what if one Anthro state turns bad? It would be like the Roman Empire, where the army all the time was following one rogue general, and then the army was splitting up and fighting itself, and then Caesar took over, and it's, it's all these crazy things. So like one that. of the pros that was discussed for the Anthro state is, well, it'd be really hard for geo or for the polystate, is it'd be really hard for geographically dispersed Anthro states to wage war against each other, which is true, but as Ethan pointed out, the solution, if you can call it that, is for one Anthro state to just become a geo state and band together and take over all these areas that no one ha- can unite to defend. So I guess that's an advantage of the polystate if everyone adhered to those rules. I will list, uh, I will list two advantages for the polystate. So one is the idea of ultimate choice that we've hammered into the ground. But I've talked to some libertarians who feel strongly that it isn't fair that they are under the current government like the idea in general that they must report to the american government isn't fair because they didn't opt into this agreement and some some people have thought this some people haven't but there is no land like there is no open land with no government that we can send you to like you're gonna you're gonna be stuck under a government so you have to accept whichever one you're under or find a way to get to another one um, but this is like the ideal of that. You could say all of the land is unaffiliated with government and I'm under whatever I want. So great. We have total free choice. But total free choice comes with all these consequences that we talked about. Um, and the other pro is I think if you implement it, so you know, miracles happen and we implement the anthro and poly states. Uh, and we conduct election number one. Everybody scatters. You get, like, a big movement. I just think in America, even. You get this big movement of, like, rural America away from urban America. And even even the coasts are probably culturally different enough that they would be under different anthrostates. And then, like, old people would be an anthrostate. And Florida would be its own place. Mm-hmm. Almost all in one. And you, you would get these weird quirks. But I think that if you ran this game over ten iterations, even, suddenly we would converge back to the countries we're already in. And I think it would be really interesting because you would see that countries actually are way more similar than we think they are. There's a lot of divisiveness within countries, but at every stage in history, divisiveness within a country isn't really that big a problem until there's peace around it. Because what unifies people is finding differences with others. It's tribalism. Humans are just really tribal. And I think in general this is a bad thing, but... if you can if you can make your tribe bigger, if you can find your differences with other countries instead of within your country, all of a sudden your country looks a lot more appealing and you have a lot more common ground than you realized. Yeah, and I think um, that speaks to the idea that the f- system of nations we have now is like the stable configuration. Like over time, all things trend towards the yeah. most stable configuration, and. Like in the very, very, except in some areas, right? But in, but in the very, yeah. in the in very, general, very macro right. view, like in a hundred years, I'd be surprised if North Korea exists in the state that it does now because of certain things that make that unstable and yeah. unsustainable. And mo- a large amount of the Middle East, pretty much any country that survives on oil reserves, right. good example. Um. So, uh, but yeah. So the obvious pro. And this is kind of a vague, hand wavy thing to say: is the buy-in to the anthro state, like people buy into the system of government they're living under because they directly chose that one. And what that could lead to is, if it is a government, a more idealistic government in the sense that it espouses policies geared towards the greater good rather than 
ease for the, and convenience for the individual, at least for a short amount of time, you might have individuals much more engaged in whatever projects or policies this Anthos Day has. It's just that after a certain amount of time, everyone will look around and realize that people in other states are paying less taxes and doing less work and will transfer, and that idealistic Anthos states will probably not last very long, is how I imagine that yeah. would run. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of convergence to an undesirable end, I think. Um, so, yeah, the, the tax one is pretty easy. And you just think, like, if you have a... You, you can't have any kind of social safety net whatsoever. And even, like, fairly strong conservatives and libertarians often want some social safety net. Like, if you, if you are born with a disability mm-hmm. or you experience major trauma in your life and are unable to work things out of your control, especially. But you can't in this system if people are really at all self-serving. And and probably in the end, people end up being harsh towards people they don't know. This has happened in current Mm -hmm. governments. Because people would just repeatedly opt out. You know, like if if we create a government where everybody, you know, whatever amount of people there are, everybody pays into a social safety net that goes to the bottom 20%, then like the top 80% will pull out of this. And suddenly the top, the bottom 20% no longer has any income. And then the, in the new state, if the top 80% do it again, and like their new bottom 20%, same thing keeps happening. And you end up with many separate states of different income right. levels because nobody wants to be subsidizing lower levels. And minorities, particularly in the sense of like these very, very small like I think of people with certain disabilities where they're not just minorities as in they make up 10% of the population, but they're minorities as in they make up 0.01% of the population or less. They would, they're screwed basically. Yeah. I I think in general, and it's not like current governments are, are doing a great job with these people, but by being physically co-located, you force people to notice others. And that's, that's a big benefit of, yeah, I mean, it's it's not perfect because eventually countries are too big for this to work. And, like, in general, people in America don't really know. The people who have it really well in America don't know that much about people who don't. But at least, like, we share the same news. Right, this is giving people like a mechanism to exclude, like, a very easy way to exclude other people as opposed to it being an unfortunate kind of byproduct of the way we live. Yeah. I think, uh, I will say... I, even though I think this is unfeasible in its current iteration, there are aspects of this that could be really successful. Like if you, I think if you had a global poly state that had anthro states with restrictions that said like, uh, you can have different policies beyond what we currently have. So, so sort of maybe a, a federation, I guess, where a lot of policies are set at the top level, but it trickles down to giving a fair amount of power to the lower levels, just in things that, aren't likely to have externalities. I think there's a lot of chance of success there. It looks sort of like a homeowners association. Although I'm very anti homeowners associations, but I know nothing about homeowners associations. So Well just they're they're allowed to tell you you like have to cut your grass. Oh, but uh yeah I, I always wonder what my homeowners association is gonna say when I install AstroTurf in a basketball court <laughs> and never cut my grass. I can't wait to find out. I can't so. either. But um, if you if homeowners associations were less controlling and you actually got to opt into them, then that's my yeah, idea of what a good intro state setup. Yeah, so more like a the a geographically unrelated federation is kind of um, 
what you're saying, right? Yeah. Federalist system. Essentially, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, to close out, one of the book reviews says about Wiener Smith that he wonders how government will respond to the tendency toward personalized life experience and compares it to, like, with 3D printing or online ordering, you can get whatever product you want at your fingertips. With online dating, you can sort through potential matches without, with very little like transaction cost, right? And so the whole purpose of the thought experiment is applying this to, to governments. So I'm curious what you think. I know what I think about like, basically I don't think that's a good comparison because um, with the first, with the other things like, who, your relationships or ordering some custom product off the internet that affects you and maybe um, a couple other individuals. But the nature of being part of a government or choosing to not be part of a anti-state affects everyone, especially as it's aggregated among all the citizens who opt in or opt out. So it's externalities, right? Basically everything, every like classic economical approach to problems is, is just haunted by the externality problem because we have a hard way. It's just very difficult to incorporate those into this model where everybody is self-governing. So basically I think that, I don't know, not a great comparison. Like, yeah, personalization is great that I can call an Uber wherever I wanted, but almost it's such a different situation it's not really a valid comparison to how this would apply to governments uber and tinder have externalities but they're not nearly of this Mm -hmm. magnitude and we're generally as a society we are willing to accept externalities so long as they're not too big because it's more work to police the externalities than than they're worth but once you get up to a macro uh like having a, a separate economy and separate military level um at that point, it's worth policing the externalities, and the externalities matter. Um, do you have any overall thoughts about the policy state before we sign off? Well, we need to give our practicality something. Yeah, pizzazz, I was trying right? to remember what the ratings were, and I only re- remembered pizzazz, but it's it's practicality something well, pizzazz. Like, but we need to figure out what something. Say was. that this is like zero practicality and medium to high pizzazz. Uh, I don't know. I want to know what the third rating is before okay. I decide. Remember, I thought it was the it, three P's, but it wasn't the oh, three I don't P's. Know. It's definitely narrative code, though. That's for sure. Ah, um. <laughs> uh, this is gonna frustrate me. Practicality. Uh, what else would we want to know about a government? Whether it's practical, whether it's cool, whether it's uh, good. Was it morality? I don't know. I don't know. We might just have to go with practicality. Something pizzazz. Yeah. I'll give it a. I'll give it a negative one four nine. <laughs> Did we determine what the four is, or is that just a? No, but that seems like a fair yeah. middling um, middling I'm rating. Go with Could be anything. I the complex number, and then like a four and a seven. I actually think the pizzazz rating is a little. It's not as pizzazzy as we think at first because, I don't know, it's like everyone can choose what they want. Whereas the individual interstates, there's not necessarily anything particularly cool about them. So it's a lot of people choosing to live in not very pizzazzy states. 
And the, yeah, definitely the complex number for practicality because it's like not even a not a very practical not a real discussion. I I'm very uh I'm I'm a sucker for the governments that are governed by these like economic models where it's like, ah, but if only we could implement this, it would function so beautifully. And this is how Futarki was too. It's like it looks so good on paper. Unfortunately, it wouldn't work. No part of it is feasible at all, but it looks really But cool. as a rating show, Futarki is still significantly more uh, practical. Yeah, than well, this. everything is more practical than this. This is a stupid idea. Well, um, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed listening to us for 40 minutes to come to that conclusion. But it is an interesting thought experiment, despite being... It is, yeah, for sure. And, and that's its purpose. I don't think Wiener Smith would... I hope he doesn't hold it against us if he ever listens to this podcast, because... We recognize that that was the purpose of proposing this idea. Yes. So I think that's about all we got. I'm off to uh, spend the rest of my day watching basketball and and uh, trying to swim Ooh. very slowly. That is generally how my week. So it's going to be a good one. But usually unsuccessful on the swimming. All right. Yeah. What's unsuccessful swimming? Do you drown? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good you keep coming back. <laughs> Uh, all right well thanks for listening everyone uh again this is the syntech project please follow us on itunes or whatever podcast player you have the syntech project or it's just syntechproject.com i don't know what i'm doing uh we have a couple new articles over the last few weeks and we have a couple things waiting in the wings i know fernando has an article on um people's ability to infer uh knowledge of players in the nba and some other things based on limited statistics and sample sizes so keep an eye out for what we have going on and i think that's all we've got for today anything else nando nope until next time all right bye everyone